This is New York's Asset Protection Roundtable with Ted Alatsis of Alatsis Law Firm. Our mission at Alatsis Law Firm is to assist you with the three pillars of protection, preserving your assets, providing you help, and protecting your future. Well, it's another mailbag edition of New York's Asset Protection Roundtable, Three Pillars of Protection program. Welcome in. I am Ben George. He's Ted Alatsis. He is the attorney and counselor at law at Alatsis Law Firm. He's going to be answering your questions today. We got a, a few that came in after our last episode about funding the trust. If you are someone that's thinking about setting up a trust and just kind of want to get some more information on how that process works, what it actually takes to fund your trust, and to learn about uh, maybe some step-by-step with some specific assets that you might put into your trust. Again, I encourage you to go back on our last episode, check that one out, but we will answer some questions today with Ted. How are you? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for reaching out to us again today. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to catching up again. I enjoy doing these mailbags to kind of get a sense of what's on people's minds and and, and kind of allow a platform to, to answer those questions and let other people kind of hear some of that that info and hopefully it'll help some people along the way. But what we've been doing the last few uh, few shows when we've had these mailbags is throwing in a little legalese of the day. So I want to start with that on this episode. And you kind of touched on it a little bit last show during our conversations on trust. So I want you to go to it a little bit more detail, but you mentioned the pour over will. Will, what exactly is that? So pour over will is a, it's a really specific type of last will and testament that basically says that everything that's uh, identified as an asset that isn't in a trust will go to the trust, which has been named as the beneficiary or the sole beneficiary of of all the assets. And the idea is to kind of be um, a continuous or an extension of the trust documents so that you know everything is is uh, still going and flowing the same way that the trust is uh, is intending. Okay, that makes sense. I just I don't know that I've heard pour over will that often? I don't know. Is it, is it a commonly used phrase? I mean, is it something that's out there quite a bit? Or is it more, hey, once you're in and you're going through some of the options and some of the uh, the processes that this comes up? You really only see it in the context of, of uh, trust planning. So, you know, you, you really wouldn't do it or you wouldn't really have a pour over will if you didn't have a trust because of that very specific nature of, of, the, of the designation of, of uh, the trust as the beneficiary. Okay. Very good. So that's our legalese of the day. We'll try to do that uh, on most episodes to kind of give you a breakdown of some of the terms that you might hear when you are going through the estate planning process. Okay. We're going to jump into the mailbag again. If you have questions for us, I recommend you send them in. You can do so through the website, alatsislawfirm.com, or you can also call if you just want to ask Ted directly. You can do that at 718-233-2903. All right. Let's lead things off with this question from Angela says, what actually makes my trust control my assets? Is there a master list or a registry of all my accounts? And how does the bank and investment company know about the trust? Okay. So that has a bunch of uh, components in it, Angela, and let, let's, let's go through them step by step. So while there may be a list of accounts that you have, which may be attached to the back of your trust, unless the assets are actually transferred into the trust, that list is is not worth anything at all on its own. Um, so you need to have the assets transferred into the trust, and that requires either going down to the bank specifically, or you know, or the financial institution, and having those assets transferred, or filling out specific forms and having the the trust's name as the title owner on those assets. The bank knows about the trust because you're going to bring that trust to the bank. The bank is generally going to copy it, or scan it, or keep it on file, 
or keep what's, what's called a certificate of trust on file, just verifying that a trust exists and that the trustees at the time that uh, any action were taken are the trustees named in that certificate. So that's how the bank knows knows about about your trust. Uh, but the a list of assets on its own, there isn't uh, that isn't in and of itself, you know, evidence that you've done the transfers. You need to actually do the transfers. Okay, great question, Angela. If you have any follow ups, again, encourage you to visit the website alatsislawfirm.com. All right. How about this question from Paul? It says, I told my bank to put my accounts in my trust. I even gave them a copy of my trust so they had all of the correct information. They didn't get the full name correct in my bank statement. My statement has all of these acronyms like TTE, U slash A. Should I be worried? So, Paul, it, it doesn't seem like you should be, right? So, uh, look, uh, trusts have very, very long names, um, and there's lots of words in there that are extraneous for the purpose of identification. And the trust documents that we prepare, and most you know, attorneys prepare, do have la- do have language in there that says you know you can use this particular title or some variation on a theme. Um, and so the abbreviations you mentioned, TTEE and UA, are commonly accepted abbreviations that identify, for example, in a TTEE, who the trustee is, okay, Um, or UA under agreement, right? So it may be the John Doe Living Trust dated, you know, October 11th, 2022, but you may see John Doe Trust UA 10-11-22, right? Uh, Which means, you know, essentially, uh, which which is an abbreviated version of that long title that I, I just you know, spelled out. So, so those are generally accepted uh, acronyms and abbreviations. So I wouldn't necessarily worry about it. Just make sure that they do have the the right name of the trust, or at least the the important parts, identifying the the individuals who who are the grantors. So that's more important than the fact that his full name wasn't correct in the statement. Correct. Okay. Good question, Paul. Uh, I know that can be probably a little concerning potentially when you go through that process, but hopefully that eases your mind. If I guess if that's something that somebody could bring into you too as well, Ted, if they want to have a consultation and, and, and kind of get a second opinion on kind of where they stand with everything and just have you look over how everything looks. I mean, I'm sure their attorney should be doing this, but let's just say for whatever reason they aren't don't have that relationship. Is this something they could bring in and have you look over and make sure it looks correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. It's something we, we, we do often. All right. Thank you, Paul, for that question. All right. Here's another one uh, from Fern. Since I get a discount on my property taxes, the homestead exemption, do I lose that discount uh, exemption if I put my house in a trust? So the trust that we generally prepare, if there's a grantor trust and there's a right to reside, would give you the ability to keep that discount. Um, you know, And certainly that is one of the intentions. What you don't want to necessarily do when you do a trust is kind of put yourself in a worse position than, than you're in at present. And so that's one of the uh, benefits of doing grantor trusts that we prepare, whether they're revocable or irrevocable. So yes, you would still be able to maintain that homestead exemption because it's really the, the exemption is based on the measuring life of the grantor and the person who's living on the property. So yes, you would be able to keep that homestead exemption for if someone is uh, in that position, has a similar question like that, and they go down, sit down with someone um, to, to fund this trust, is that something that you would anticipate the inter- attorney would just kind of take care of and make sure that they're putting them in that situation in the correct trust to still get that exemption? Or is that something you should be asking specifically? Well, we certainly do that as a matter of course. Uh, when we prepare trusts with, with clients, we certainly explain to them 
in advance that uh, one of the things that we'd be doing is making sure that any exemptions continue. In New York City, for example, that does require um, a biennial uh, recertification, but you have to do that anyway. So so whether you're doing a trust or not, you're still going to have to do that biennial certification. So it, it's the same it, it, at the end of the day, from a practical standpoint, it's essentially the same. But we generally go over that with clients uh, when, when we're working on documents for them. Okay. And I, and would this be different from state to state? Is this something that would be, would vary? So the, the, the homestead, the, it, maintaining the exemptions um, is going to be the same okay. from state to state. Um, the process of maintaining them may be different. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure every state's got different homestead exemption rules. So that, that part, but the trust itself, the exemption, if it's in place would still last. Correct. Okay. Makes sense. Okay, very good. Thank you, Fern, for that question as well. Uh, that's all I got for you, Ted, today. Three uh, pretty straightforward questions on trust, but I think they each kind of touch on something that's of interest and hopefully uh, I'm sure would answer a question that other people might have that are thinking about doing a trust. So again, if anybody wants to set up this uh, consultation with you to begin discussing will versus trust, the best way to do that, again, is log on alatsislawfirm.com. And I guess, is there any any kind of uh, specific criteria, Ted? I know we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, so I encourage anyone to go back and listen through the shows to get, and get more info. But any criteria for anyone just in general that is the, trying to decide between trust and will, what's going to be best for them? Is there any kind of general guidance you give someone? Well, so I mean, the the general questions that we always ask are: what are your what are your intentions with your assets? Are you looking to avoid probate? Are you um, looking to create some sort of asset protection? Um, and and what continuity you you have? And what kind of control and input do you want to have after you're gone? So so those are the essential criteria we we look at you know almost immediately. Very good. Well, make sure you log on. we got all of our podcasts up online, alatsislawfirm.com. Also, some great video content as well from Ted and his team there. And if you have any questions for him, you can call 718-233-2903. All right, Ted, thanks for answering the questions today. As always, thanks for your time, and we'll catch up soon. Thank you, Ben. Talk to you soon. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.